What did I preach on? What God is doing in you. Bless your darling heart. I love you to pieces. Now, you know, most people in here don't know what I preached last week. But you get the brownie point today. Okay. What God is doing in you. And last week, we spent a lot of time talking in the book of Ephesians that God gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the perfecting of the saints for the work of ministry. You guys are really the ministers. The whole point that God, everything God has been doing in you since the day you got born again is working Jesus Christ in your life. You are more like him today than you were a year ago. And you will be more like him next year because, because though you're waking up and heading off to work tomorrow, He is going with you to work Jesus on the inside of you. And because he wants you to have a better life. So God is doing that in you. And I'm going to tell you right now, I could go around this room and I can pull some people up and tell you they are very different than the first time I met them. And I remembered when I'm not picking on Rosa Camacho, but I'm going to tell you right now. The first time we met this little migrant worker, she was a royal mess. And she's a businesswoman now who goes to Honduras and preaches Jesus. And her son is a principal of the school. What a, did you understand? It's so awesome to watch God in people. And I would love to go around because I've seen changes in all of y'all. I mean, I really have. If I looked around and go, man, you don't, you're, you're growing. But how many of you have arrived? No, I hadn't either. Hallelujah. I wished I had, but I haven't. As a matter of fact, that's why I'm married, because my wife reminds me of all of the areas I do not look like Jesus. Um, the other day we were coming home from Louisiana, and, they, and, and we picked, I picked up my truck at the airport, and I was coming down the interstate, and my wife looked at me, and she says, are you aware of the speed limit? <laughs> I want to go home so bad. If you ever sleep in a hotel bed, you're just like, I want my bed, I want my bed. So I already got reprimanded. I'm glad Louie didn't see me because <laughs> he'd have thought I was Mario and Dreddy coming down the turnpike. But anyway, I slowed her down and acted a lot more like a Christian after that. Let's read a chapter 4. Let's read Ephesians 4 because this has become literally, um, it's become a life scripture for me. Um, he gave some apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. For the equipping of the saints, that would be you. For the work of ministry, that's you. For the edifying of the body of Christ till or until we come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man. Don't let that throw you. It's the Greek word mature to the measure of the statue of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plottings. But we speak the truth in love. You are supposed to speak the truth in love. Let me say something right here. Love is not being quiet. Now, nobody said that, you know, I I have a scripture, but it's not in the Bible. You shall know the truth, and the truth will make you mad. If you're going to tell people the truth, the only way to love a person is to tell them the truth. And sometimes that doesn't go over real real well with people because they don't want to know 
the truth about that. But that's how you be. A, that's how you become a light in the world that you're. It's called persecution. Nobody wants the persecution, but they want America to be great again. You're going to have to get over one or the other. So in the book of um, uh, Mark 16, don't go there. Jesus said, "Go in all the world and preach the gospel." Well, the literal Greek word for world is the Greek word cosmos. And you could, you could define that as culture. Go in to the culture. Now, what we have done in Christianity, and I'm guilty of this, and I'm not saying any of it's wrong. It's not wrong. I've been to 11, 12, 13, 15, I don't know how many nations I've actually walked on and preached the gospel. Um, I've been to Russia. Russia's one of my favorite places to go. We have people in the church here. They're from Russia. The, the, if, if, you've, if, you, if you've never had a Russian woman cook for you, you have never eaten in your life. They are the most fantastic cooks on the planet. And, and, and you know, you just almost want to go marry a Russian girl right now just to get a good cook. But I got to go to Moscow and then fly into Ekaterinburg and then take a train 27 hours up into Nigen, which is in the North Pole, and had a revival up there, 500 people. I'm going to tell you something. You go to another nation and you give an altar call and everybody in the building comes forward and gets born again. It's phenomenal. I got to preach in India. Um, Some of the most beautiful people in the world are India Indians. The women uh, dress in, in all very bright yellows and greens and pinks. And, it, and, the, and to watch them in a field, it's, it's, it's a picture. It's absolutely beautiful to see all of the women. Um, and they're, they're, they're all dark-skinned with coal black hair and just dressed beautifully. And the people there are just wonderful. They're friendly. You go in their homes. They take good care of you. So I've gotten to preach in India. I got to preach in Africa. Um, I, I, got to, I got chased by a rhino back to the car. And um, the, the pastor there threatened to leave me out in the bush if I got out of the car again. Uh, but I was trying to take a picture, and I did not know that he would chase me. So you, you have to get this picture of me running th- through the, the, the bush uh, chasing a Toyota to dive into it as a rhino's chasing me. But your pastor has a little bit of a wild streak in him. So I've, had, I've gotten to preach in Cuba and in, uh, in Guatemala and Mexico and uh, Peru. And, and so that's where I learned, yo quiero café con leche en donde está el baño. And so I had to learn. So, so I've enjoyed preaching the gospel everywhere. But, but the fact is, is that America is a mission field. America needs the gospel. And I think that we have not done to America what we should have done. And so, you know, we're so busy making money and all that, that we really almost neglect America. We expect the pastors to do it. And that's not God's way of doing it. While I was in Louisiana, Mac Hammond preached a message on the seven mountains of influence, and I wrote him down. And he made a statement. He said, Bill Bright, Campus Crusade for Christ, the Lord told him over 40 years ago, if you're going to influence America with the gospel, there are seven mountains of influence you've got to take. Now, as a Christian, we've never been taught 
to take mountains of influence or to infiltrate or go into areas of our nation that need Jesus. Matter of fact, in some of them, we've actually been told to stay out of them. Now, I'm going to read the seven mountains of influence that you've got to take them. Number one is the church. Let me slow up here for a minute. The church in America today has become a social club. And, 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 and the church and the people who come, you're, you're really responsible for that. And I'm going to tell you why. If we don't have a certain amount of entertainment for you, we won't see you next week. And if we preach personal responsibility, it's a guarantee we won't see you next week. And so America has gotten to where they want to be entertained. And there are preachers out there that are doing a very good job of it. You can leave church feeling good. If you leave this church feeling good, I'm not a good pastor. I promise I will upset you. As a matter of fact, if I never have let me know, I'll work personally on you. I'll just find something to get on you about. Because if you're going to grow up, then we're going to talk about things that you're either not doing or not doing very well. And your flesh, if you're a Christian, your flesh is selfish. And you want it your way. And you've been crying since your mama took your bottle away from you. And when you walk into church, and we're going to deal with subjects that don't make you very comfortable. So one of the pillars, one of the main pillars is the American church. And we need to get back to preaching Jesus and preaching what the word of God says. Be a doer of the word and not a hearer only deceiving your own self. All right, we're going to skip that one and go to the next one. Next one's family. The second one is there is a, a mountain of influence, the family. The American family has broke down. And I said this in the first service, I'm going to say it again. I remembered when I was a kid growing up where there was a dad that went to work and a mom that stayed home. Somewhere along the line, the woman was told she needed to come up to being like a man and get a career. And if you think that's not prevalent, you've never watched a Hallmark movie before. But in America today, women are going after getting careers. What's happening to the children? Well, the, 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 the job of being mom is the highest office in this land because the hand that rocks the cradle rules the world. You know, I read one time about John Wesley's mother and how she illegally taught her children the word of God. I mean, that lady was pumping out preachers out of her living room. But, that, but, but they will all go back and tell you it was mom that did it. And when I married Lisa, and I'm going to, you know, I'll, I may get Lisa up here next week and let her talk a little bit about this. But she laid some laws down with me when we got married. She said, you are the head of this home. And when we have children, I will be quitting my job. And I will stay home. And I will raise the boys. That is my job. And you're going to bring the money in. We might not have a jet ski and we might not have a boat, but we will have good boys. 
and she did a, she homeschooled them, which takes a lot of hard work. Didn't mean she knew what she was doing, but I'm going to say something to you right now. An idiot could do better than the public school system. I'm sorry. I'm just going to get on a rant right here. If, if your children are not on fire for God, don't send them into that hell hole. They're not coming out walking with Jesus. God never gave the government of the United States the job of raising your children for you. Boy, I, I'm just going to have to stop. We've got to move on. So Lisa raised the boys, and, and, and they were good enough. By the time they got into high school, they wanted, they wanted to get into sports. But let me tell you something. By then, oh, my God, my boys, they rocked the school. I remembered one day when Jordan went in, and they had, a, what's the Christians, Athletes for Jesus? What is that? What is the name of it? There's a real name. They, what is it? Whatever that is. So they had an after-school meeting, and the guy that was supposed to was just a lukewarm Christian, and, and he said something, and Jordan stood up and said, that's not scriptural. And he just took the meeting over and got up and started preaching to all the kids what the Bible had to say about that subject. And when he walked out, 30 kids followed him out. And said, where did you learn the Bible like that, boy? He said, my mom. We had Bible time growing up. I had to read the Bible, you know. But when Justin went to work at, was it Pentair? What's it, what was it called then? Aquatic Eco. Him and Josh Brown and Jordan. I mean, they'd get in the break room and start talking about Jesus. They had grown adult men older than them coming for counseling. It's the way it should be. Now, if your kids, if you didn't raise them that way, don't stick them in that mess because they'll do everything they can to get all the Jesus they can squeeze it out of them. So what should we do? Actually, we'll get into this in a minute. We should infiltrate the schools. And if you're a teacher, go in the schools and be a Christian in there. Handle a little persecution with the goal in mind that you're going to be the principal of that school. And if you don't, if they won't let you, start one. And not everything that's a Christian school is a Christian school. When the government tells you you got to take Jesus posters down, tell them to take their money and take a hike. Then Ray boy up here in Daytona Beach, he had a Christian school with money from the government, and they came in and told him in to take all the Christian literature off the walls, and he handed them their money back. Good for him. Don't take Jesus off the wall. Have you lost your mind? Let me tell you a little secret right now before we go too far. All bold people are going to be called arrogant. If you're not ready to be called arrogant, you don't want to be like me. Thank you for, but I'm just like Jesus. Jesus was not arrogant. He was very bold. And you're going to have to learn to be bold in the, in the world you're living in right now. So we need to go in the schools. And if you're going to be a school teacher, you'd be the best one in the world. And you'd be a light in that school. Amen. Now, the next one is arts. And, and I don't have time to get into all this arts. But uh, I mentioned this in the early service and do it again. What was it? Uh, Mel Gibson's coming out with another movie. The uh, resurrection. I can't wait. 
I hope he does it just, I want to see somebody do a resurrection where down in the region of the dam, Jesus comes out of there like a ball off the bottom of the ocean and blows by and grabs his body. It was no small thing to raise Jesus from the dead. He didn't die for his own sins. He died for the sins of the world. And he was raised. When God raised him from the dead, he raised the whole Adamic race from the dead all at one time. That was the greatest display of power since the, since the creation of the universe. And I was there. Hallelujah. Paul said, I was crucified with him. We were raised with him. Anyway, I can't wait till Easter. You're going to get me going here. But listen, I'm going to say this, and I don't mean to upset you. Easter's not about Jesus rising from the dead. Easter's about you rising from the dead. Because you were the one dead in trespasses and sins that needed to get out of hell. Amen. So Paul said, I was crucified with him. That means I was raised together with him. That's what Easter's about, newness of life. You're raised from the dead to die no more. Everybody talking about when I die. Well, listen, I'm not going to. I may step out of this old shell. And when I do, I will not go to hell. If I do, they will kick me out. <laughs> Hallelujah. So anyway, so the next one is the arts. Uh, uh, listen, Hollywood needs... Hollywood needs Jesus. Bad. And there's a movie out this week. Um, uh, I can only imagine. I can't wait to go watch it. And I listen, don't ask a Christian about Christian movies because most of them aren't very good. I used to ask you all about Christian movies and I had to quit. Some of the stuff you guys watch is terrible. I don't have one movie in my house with a naked woman in it anywhere. I don't even have a Cosmopolitan magazine. We don't even have any cleavage laying around. You're going to watch movies, watch something edifying, watch something good. And that means three-quarters of Facebook, you need to delete it too. When you cuss on my Facebook page, I, de- I unfriend you unfollow okay the next one uh is is business i wish we had time we're gonna get in we're gonna come back to this one government and politics aren't you glad that brian nelson won all right that was no small feat guys a lot of praying if this is an area that the world has told the church get out of you keep your Christianity in your church in your four walls. Not so, guys. We should have, there should be young teenagers right now planning on going in the political field and going in, going in and becoming a light in the world and taking Jesus into, into that political arena. If you're tired of America being the way it is, please study the politicians Remember, they all lie. So if you want to know how great they are, don't ask them. I got to have, um, I got to sit in um, Mark, Mark Bird, Mark Bird's pastor's office last week down here in Winter Garden. And I asked Mark Bird's pastor, should I vote for Mark Bird? He said, yes, you should. I said, how long you know him? He said, all of his life. Now, let me tell you something. 
If you want to know, ask his pastor and ask his wife. Nobody else knows him. And if they pass that test, then you can go to the polls with them. Is it Jennifer Sullivan? I'm proud of her. That girl is a born-again Christian, loves Jesus. Now, Brian Nelson, back to Brian Nelson. I walked up to him at a Tijuana Flats, Lisa and I did, and he had never announced that he was running. No, he had never told anybody. And we were having a meeting uh, the next day, and he asked me, he said, Pastor, would you get me a lunch? And I looked at him, and the Spirit of God came on me, and I said, I'll buy a lunch for the next pastor of this, I mean, the next mayor of this city. And his wife made a beeline to me and said, that's the voice of God in your mouth. I said, yes, it is. Now, there was a time to start calling him into his seat. Let me slow up here a minute. Can we get radical for a minute? You thought I was radical up to now, didn't you? When the Bible talks about principalities, powers, and rulers of the darkness of this world, God did not give them those titles. God did not make a demon a principality. Lucifer did. They're illegally in seats. Satan is after authority. The church should be. If the church doesn't take the seat, the devil will. And then you're going to groan because you're growing up in a nation with goofy people running it. You shouldn't have to pray that hard. Put the right person in and you have a whole lot easier life. Am I, are y'all okay? Now that means that Christians have to run and they're going to do their best to take you apart. It is a dog-eat-dog world. You better be ready for the wolves if you're going to run for office. Well, thank you, y'all, for your enthusiasm. You better be a little bit tough-skinned. Now, a lot of people don't like Trump. I love him. I think he is a bull in the china closet. I think he is a Holy Ghost wrecking ball, and I think he's tearing Washington apart. And I love it. Thank you for y'all's enthusiasm. Never mind. My, he's already in office, so you can't, you can't call the IRS on me. The next one is education. We need to get into the education system. Now, go to Matthew 13, 33. I'm going to read something to you about why you're actually here, why you're on the planet Another parable, Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is like leaven. A woman took and hid in three measures of meal until it was all leavened. I don't know whether y'all have ever made bread or not. It's actually fun to do it. You have to grind all the wheat up, and then you put the, the stu- olive oil and the honey in it and the, and the yeast. Well, that yeast has got to be worked through the dough. That means you've got to take that dough, and, and, you, and if, y'all, if y'all are old enough, you remember Grandma used to make bread, and, uh, and, and they'd work that into the dough. 
Then you'd flip the dough and put, pull it over and fold it and then work it and work it. And you got you to do that about 8 to 15 minutes. You've got to get that yeast worked into the dough. Well, Jesus told a parable about the kingdom of God. And he said and when he walked to the earth, and most people, most people in America never hear anything about the kingdom. They think the kingdom is something coming during the millennial reign. But Jesus said that if, if I'm here casting out devils by the Spirit of God, the kingdom of God has come. And so it may not be here physically during the millennial reign, but you are the temple of God and wherever you go, the kingdom goes. So God's idea is that the church would infiltrate every aspect of society. We're supposed to take over. Well, what a concept. That means if you're a school teacher, you're supposed to take Jesus into the schools. If you're a businessman, you're supposed to take Jesus into the business arena. And it's going to take some backbone to do that. Now, I told the story earlier, and I'm going to tell it again, about how God started training me when I first got saved. And he actually did that with me. I didn't know at the time that that's what he was doing. But I got, I got born again. You heard my story. November 16, 1975, I walked in a crusade in Atlanta, Georgia. I got healed by the power of God, and I walked up in the front and gave my heart, prayed the sinner's prayer, Jesus come in my heart, be the Lord of my life. And I went home that night and rolled a joint to celebrate being saved. And the Lord spoke to me and said, you don't need that, and I'll tell you the rest of it on Easter. Now, one of the things that right after that, I was watching a television program, and a guy got on there and made a statement. He says, a man that doesn't work shouldn't eat. He's worse than an unbeliever. Well, I didn't have a job. Well, I got up and turned the TV off and I said, I guess I need to go get a job. And I did. Now, the only place in Athens, Georgia, for me to go to work, there was two places actually. One of them was a junkyard and the other one was with Certain Teed. I worked at the junkyard and they kicked me out. So I went back, to, I went to work at Certain Teed and I walked into a fiberglass plant where they hired me. Now, God said go to work, so I did. And I had been praying up until that time because I had no money, I had no house of my own. I mean, I, just the, the medical bills and everything I had was off the chart. So God, I asked God to get me out of debt and help me with my life, so he did. And so he helped me get this job. And I remembered the morning that I, the, the evening that I walked into Certainteed, they, they put me on the second shift. Now, get this. This is a fiberglass plant. Uh, it's not like going out and getting fiberglass and putting it in your house. This is your going there every day. In, you're itching on purpose. This is not a fun place to work. And it didn't have any air conditioning either. So it was a sweat box. And so I'm, I'm going in this place to get my first job after I get born again. And I remembered I clocked in and the clock said 4 o'clock. And I'm supposed to start work at 4 o'clock. Well, my new boss was standing at the time clock, and he looked at me, and he said, he looked at my name and said, Morgan, you're late. Now, I'm in a fight with my new boss, and I hadn't started a job yet. And I said, no, I'm not. I'm here on time. And he said, Morgan, you're late, and don't ever be late again. Well, I'm about to say something to him, and the Lord spoke to me, and he said, Morgan, you're late. 
Don't ever be late again. And then he quoted a scripture to me, and I'm going to pop it on the screen in a minute. He said, from this day forward, you work for me. Now, let me back up a minute. In America, if someone gives you a job, don't go in there and fight that company. They gave you a job. They don't owe you a living. If you want more money, start your own business. But if you work for someone else, you work for them, you are there to make them money. Don't take the world's attitude to business with you. So anyway, God said to me, he says, from this day forward, every time you walk in this place, I want you here 15 minutes early. I want you to leave late and I want you to work harder than anybody in this place. That's number one. Number two, keep your mouth shut. I thought, God, do you love me? I thought you love me. Well, he does love me. He's trying to help me. So I walked into this place called Certainty, and they put me on a bagger. That's where, they, that's where you, you take the bats and you stick them in a machine and it folds them up and shoves them in a bat. Well, I'm in there working eight hours a day pulling bats off a line. And then finally they took me and they put me because I worked hard. The Lord told me to work as unto him, so I'm going to work hard. And so they put me on the end down there called the roll-up machine. You go into Lowe's. You got the big rolls of fiberglass. I worked on the machine that rolled those rolls up, taped them, and spit them out of the end of the machine. And there's like eight or nine of them coming out about every, every minute. And it's a two-man job. Two men. There's tape machines. And the, and the minute that those, that those rolls are rolling, those tape machines are supposed to go off. They don't all. And they go... Do, 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 like guns, and they tape the rolls, but one to six don't work. That means that I've got to stand there with four feet of wet tape and hand tape the ones that don't work, and then while I'm waiting for the next, the roll-up, I'm to get in there, turn around, unclog the tape machine, and get them all working, and, and, and understand this is, so I did such a good job, they took my help away. You talk about made me. I said, God, I'm doing what you said. What did they take my help away from? But I ran that machine as unto the Lord. Now, I had two girls that worked with me, Mary and Martha. Is that not a hoot? <laughs> they took the rolls and put them in baggers to bag them. Now, you understand that when you work in a factory, it is literally a slave camp. You're there for eight hours. You get a 30-minute lunch and two 10-minute breaks and not 11-minute breaks. That means you can go to the bathroom and get water and be back, and they'll tell you when you can go. Well, let me tell you something. There's no air conditioning. You, you get thirsty more than twice a night or a day. So I got to feeling sorry for Mary and Martha, and I looked at one of them one day, and I said, Mary, if you'll run to that water fountain and be back in 60 seconds, I'll do your job and mine. She said, why would you do that? I said, you've got to be thirsty because I am. And she said, well, thank you. And she took off, and I ran the roll up, and I bagged her bag, and I'm praying, oh, get back quick, baby, get back quick. And so I started helping them out. Now, the love of God is shed abroad in your heart. If you're gonna, when you go to work, you need to take the Jesus in you to work with you. It wasn't long that everybody around there knew I was a Christian. Well, one day I'm working my tail off 
and a man comes up and leans on the rail, and I found out his name was Mike Nacera. He is the plant manager, and he's leaning there on the rails like this, and he's just looking at me. Oh, that's uncomfortable because I don't know who this guy is. And finally, he calls me over at lunch break. You know, they came and relieved me, and he said, why do you work so hard? I didn't know any better. I said, well, I don't work for you. (laughs) He said, well, who do you work for? I said, I work for the Lord Jesus Christ. And I gave him my testimony. I said, I hadn't been a Christian but a few months now. God got me this job. And he asked me to work as unto the Lord. And I, I'm working to please him. And he said, well, I don't know who you're working for, but you're doing a good job, son. <laughs> Wasn't long after that, Mike got a hold of someone in the plant and said, whatever job he wants, give it to him. That's favor. So they came, and there's a guy named Buck in the warehouse where they load trucks. And see, I hated that roll-up. I hated that machine. Yet I worked that way to get off of it. And I got off that machine. Hallelujah. Gave that thing to someone else. Giving it. I don't want it back in the name of Jesus. So they put me in the warehouse. And when I walked out there, Buck looked at me and said, you better load three and a half trucks a day or we're going to run you out of here. He didn't like the fact that someone higher up took me and pulled me out and put me in the warehouse. And he says, you will load three and a half trucks or you won't work for me. And the Lord said, four. I said, four. He said, I want four trucks a day out of you every day of your life. And I did it. Every day I came to work, I loaded four trucks. They started giving me trucks with blowing wool to slow me down. It it didn't work. I I loaded them. And so it wasn't long after that that I'm out in the the warehouse and I'm working hard out there also. Mike Nacera, the plant manager, calls me into his office. Now, I'm going to tell you all, that scared me. Because, listen, I, I was a former druggy hippie I, I, last time I got called in anybody's office it was high school and that didn't come out too good and so all of a sudden I'm being called into the plant manager's office and he called me in and sat down and he said we've been watching you now see I'm talking to you about this listen to me I'm a Christian and I'm in a work environment and I'm changing it Everybody in that plant knows I'm a Christian because I told them. Now the plant manager is wanting to talk to me personally. And he, made, he calls me in. He said, son, we have a job opening in the warehouse. In the, in the tool, and there's a tool crib opening up. And it's for seniority is the, is the primary. And you have no seniority in this plant. But we want you to take over the tool crib. So we've made a new law. It's seniority, but there's one thing that trumps seniority. Who has the most knowledge? I said, well, it isn't me. Because I don't know a drill bit from a drill motor. He said, but we're going to bring you in at night and train you. And when we're finished, you will be the most knowledgeable tool crib runner that we have. So at night, they snuck me in to the maintenance department and taught me everything about the tool crib. 
So then they gave all of us a test, and I passed it 100% and got the job. Then they took the tool crib, and they turned it into, we, in other words, it was only open in the day, but the, the factory runs three, uh, three shifts. Uh, it ran 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. The factory never stopped. Christmas, nothing. It never stopped. So, so they wanted to run the tool crib, and they wanted it to open up for all of the other, um, uh, the other you know, night and the evening shift. So they, then they took all of the commodities and put it on the Georgia-Pacific numbering system, and they gave me that job. And finally, finally, Mike Nasera brings me in his office, and, and I found out through the grapevine, he's grooming me to manage the plant. Now I'm thinking, well, this is wild. I walk in off the street, a former drug addict, and they're grooming me, but he would, then he'd call me in and say, I have a question about the Bible. And I'd go, you called me in the lunch with you because you have a, he said, yeah, and I know you know the answer to it. That was the first time I ever understood that when you get born again, God is going to strategically put you in places for you to change the culture there. I mean, I'm, I am teaching the plant manager how to be born again, and, I, and, I, and I'm the tool crib worker. Grooming me, and the day that the Lord said to me, pack your bags, you're going to Bible school. Mike Nasera sat in his office and cried like a baby that I was leaving. Now, I want you to think about this for a minute. Is that just me, or is that the way it should be with every one of us? We have an anointing from God, and we should be going into all the cosmos and, and affecting the world for the Lord Jesus Christ. I got time here. Let me... When I was the resident manager at the same time of the apartment complex that God gave me that job, I, was, I moved into the apartments and I, was, and, I, and I just lived there. Debbie Whitehead, the manager, offered the job to me and I became the resident manager. That means that everybody in the apartment complex is coming to my house to pay their rent. What do you think is going on on my couch? ministry. We're ministering to people all the time. We're getting all of the residents born again. Don't shout me down because I'm preaching real good. Then I went out to Oklahoma and went to work for the Hardesty Company. And again, everybody that I worked with came to Jesus. Every, the manager, the resident manager, the, the bookkeeper, the maintenance man was Mexican. He didn't speak any English, and I just spoke to him and, and all the best tongues I could and got him to trying to get him saved. And in other words, we, I, I learned that everywhere I went, God wanted me to have a positive effect everywhere I went. Now, when you, when you think about this, um, go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Is this helping y'all? You see, when you wake up tomorrow morning, you're in the ministry. 
That's why you're alive on the planet. You're, you, God has put you right now in the middle of a group of people that they need to hear what you have to say. <coughs> you may think, I'm a school teacher, I'm a businessman, or I work for someone else. Well, that's may, that may be what you think, but God's got you there. And I won't have time to do it now, but I'm going to mention this as y'all are turning. In the story of Jesus casting the devils out of the madman of Gadara, the, the man came to Jesus when he got free. Gadara was a wealthy area of Jerusalem. Only the rich lived there. Then the Gentiles lived there. That's why they were raising pigs because Jews didn't eat pork. And so when Jesus destroyed the pork business, they said to Jesus, get out of here. We don't want you. And the madman of Gadara, who's now set free by the power of God, he turns to Jesus and says, I want to go with you. Now, listen, that would be paramount to be an apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, or teacher. Jesus said, no, I don't need you to travel with me. I need you to go home, go back into Gadara, because if you don't go in there, I will never be able to get back in there. So he went in, and his testimony changed the city. And later, when you're reading the Bible, they accepted Jesus, and he came in there and had a revival. But they, didn't have, they wouldn't let Jesus come until after they heard the madman of Gadara. There are people on the planet that Jesus Christ will never get to without your being there and you being a witness to them. Now, we would look and say, well, Billy Graham was one of the greatest soul winners, and he was. But there are people Billy Graham could not reach because when I went to work at Weber and Tucker, and, I, uh, and, and I've told many of you the story, when I came here to Orlando, I went to work for a block mason company down in Kissimmee, and we built all the hotels on iDrive, and they put me on an all-black crew. Well, Omar and Twig and Bird aren't going to Billy Graham. Y'all get this? God knows they're not going to Billy Graham. Now, I not only needed a job, but God put me in the middle of those guys. And at the end of working for them for three years, half of them were back in fellowship with God. Omar's born again, filled with the Holy Ghost. And I remembered the day. Now, listen, you, you understand something? That when you go to work every day and you work construction, at lunchtime, we all pull up concrete blocks and we talk. They talk, and then I talk, and I don't talk about the same things they talk about. I'm going to tell you all a story. You remember Jimmy Swaggart? Everybody remembers Jimmy Swaggart and his failure. Well, they nicknamed me Swaggart. I got so tired of being called Swaggart. Hey, Swaggart. And I said to the Lord one day, I said, I'm so tired of hearing about Jimmy Swaggart. And the Lord gave me an idea. So I said, hey, boys, come here. I called them boys. No offense. That's why they wanted to kill me all the time. I said, did what Jimmy Swaggart do is wrong? And I'm not going to tell you what they said because we're in church. But it went like, heck yeah. You blank it, blank, blank, blank. Right. What Jimmy Swaggart did was wrong. And I said, well, there's a scripture in the Bible that says judgment begins in the house of God. 
And God told me to tell you that you next. <laughs> and they shut up calling me swagger. <laughs> but you know, when you're, when you're in an environment like that, you're able, it's, it's a forced, they got to hang around me. They didn't have any choice. And so I remember the day that Omar, and Omar, and I say he was a Black Panther. I don't think he was in, the, in it, but he leaned heavily. Hated white folks, hated white folks. Hated me, boy. I mean, he, when I went to work there, he let me know we were not going to be buddies. At the end of about a year and a half, Omar comes up and he pulls up a concrete block, sits down beside me. He said, Morgan, what you got? Now, I don't know where he's going with this statement. Because if you know what it's like working construction, you don't know what you're about to hear. And so I said, well, I got lots of stuff you ain't got. Number one, a truck paid for, brother. You know, I mean, I just. He said, no, I'm being serious. He said, Morgan, we give you hell. And you don't rattle. Whatever you have, I want it. I said, oh, you're being serious. He said, I'm being serious. I said, come to dinner tonight. Lisa and I invited Omar over that night, made him dinner, got him in fellowship with God, got him filled with the Holy Ghost. Him and I did crusades after that. We did missions trips after that, and we became the best of friends. That had never happened if God hadn't put me in his life. Now, the pastor can't do that. Most of the people in America that are going to get born again are going to be done by you outside the four walls of this church. Most of the ministry in the world goes on by you outside this church. As a matter of fact, you're closer to ministry than I am. You're more strategic to God than I am. That's a powerful statement. Fruit does not grow on the trunk. It grows on the branches. Are y'all seeing where we're going with this sermon? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. That's you. We learned this in Wednesday night. A new species, a new kind of being. Old things have passed away. Everything became new. And all of these things of the new creation are of God who reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Now he's talking to you. That is, God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them. Let's stop right there. What good would it have done for me to sit with Omar and talk to him about his sin? Now, when you're, a, when you're not a Christian, you're dead in sin. Giving you a bunch of rules is not going to change you being dead. He needed Jesus. And, he, and the only Jesus he ever met was in me. The only Jesus people will ever meet will be in you. As a matter of fact, I'm going to give you a statement right here if you can handle it. If someone can get to you, they can get to God. You understand what God's doing in you? 
not imputing their trespasses, and committed to us the word, I use the word same, the same word of reconciliation that God gave Jesus. Go to verse 20. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Now, I'm going to give you the gospel real quick, and I want you to think about what I'm fixing to say. The world has never heard the gospel. You think, yes, they have. They have not. They have heard religion, and that's why they avoid church like the plague. And we'll give you the gospel. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. This is the condemnation. Light came in the world, and men loved darkness rather than light. When you, you understand that the world outside of this church right now, they're dead in sin. They don't need condemnation. People do not go to hell for sinning. Do you know that if you tell that to someone, they will think you have lost your mind because that's all they've ever heard in church. Why, well, you old ugly sinner, you, you sorry, good for nothing, homosexual, you, you, you lying, thieving. That's all they've heard. And they don't want any part of your church because they think they're going to come in here and get that full force from here. When you sit down with a lost person and go, can I show you something? Do you believe Jesus Christ died on the cross? Most people go, yes. And then look in Romans 10, 9 said, all you've got to do is just say, I believe he died on the cross for me and rose from the dead and you'd be saved. And when they read it, they look at it and go, well, I can't believe it's that easy. And you go, don't ask them. Don't do six just as I am's. Grab their hand and say, may I pray for you? They will always say yes, but you just sort of lied. Well, you didn't because you're going to pray. Father, I pray for Art. I thank you for bringing Art in my life. Art, say this with me. I tricked him. I tricked you too. Uh, this guy came. He's a good Catholic boy. Got born again here. Just because you're Catholic don't mean you're saved. But we still got to get art saved here. You'd be surprised at how many people I've led to the Lord and didn't even hardly know they were getting saved until I got finished. And I said, now, did you believe me in that? And they said, I absolutely did. And I said, welcome to the family. There's actually times I love going and hanging around sinners. Amen. You know, y'all heard I shot competition pistol. It, it didn't go well for me because I started beating everybody. <laughs> Nobody wants to be beat by a preacher. Is that right, Jim? They, they started monkeying with my scores to try to keep me down. But they asked me one day, says, what do we call you, pastor? And I said, Lord, no. Because I don't want y'all going left field on me. Just be normal. Just act normal. I've been around heathen before. I used to be a heathen going to hell just like you. 
That didn't go over real well. But it's amazing how many people would walk up to me at a match and go, I have a question for you. Because they've gotten to know me close enough and they don't go to church. They want to know about the end times. They want to know about the Antichrist. They want to know about the Pope. They have all these questions. And it's fun to sit there while we're shooting guns and and open a Bible and say, let me talk to you for a few minutes. Are y'all out there? Did you go home? The greatest people on the earth are the church. The greatest people walking this planet right this minute are you. That's a powerful statement. Because you're the only hands and feet he has. And this is what he meant when he said, go into all the culture and take Jesus with you everywhere you go. Well, I'm pretty much done. Did you enjoy this? We're not done. I want to come back and talk to a little bit more about the family and arts and business and government and education. But can you all see this? Can you understand where we're going with this? You understand, in the last days we're living in right now, I believe we are going to see the greatest move of God that America has ever seen. I believe we're on the cusp of that right now. And I think what God is doing in you, the world doesn't know who you are. There was a time that God was training David, though he was a shepherd boy. Don't you think he practiced with his Glock? I mean, his sling? (laughs) Yeah, he did. What do you think boys do all day when they're out watching sheep? They sling rocks. When he met Goliath, that's not the first rock that boy slung. God was out there going, we need to work on that. We need to perfect that a little bit. You got to be able to hit him between the eyes, buddy. See, God's working in you right now. Every day of your life, God is working in you to make you a minister of this gospel. Well, that's a powerful statement. So I'm going to pray for you. I want to pray corporately before I turn this over to Lisa. Father God, I want to thank you for the opportunity we walked in here today and opened up the Bible to Ephesians 4. And this revelation that I have right now, you've been giving it to me about what you're doing in the church, what you're doing in us individually and corporately as a body. Father, there's people sitting in this room right now, and they're in places that they would have never picked. And there's women who are raising their kids. God bless them. Thank God for them. But there are people in here that are in the world in different places. And the people around them, they're the only hope those people have. I ask that they walk out of here today understanding that they're on a job assignment when they wake up tomorrow morning and they go into work. It's more than a paycheck. There are people to be reached. And there's influence to be given. Now, Louie, I'm going to say something to you by the Holy Ghost. You're being positioned because of your testimony. God's not done yet. 
But there will come a time in your life that you'll have such an influence over people. There are men's lives and families. They'll be totally changed just because of you. And I know that to be true of other people in here. If you own your own business, run it as unto the Lord. If you work for someone else, work for that man as unto the Lord and thank God for that business. And God will bless the work of your hands if you'll take up the mandate that you understand that you're there on on purpose. Amen. Thank you for listening to this powerful message by Pastor Daryl Morgan. We hope it blesses you. If you would like more info on Word of Life, sermons, and free downloads, please go to wordoflifeapopka.com. Thank you and have a blessed day.